got your Bible, open it to Mark chapter 14. We're going to be in verses 22 through 25 this morning. This morning we're going to be looking at the Lord's Supper as we kind of hit our spot in Mark. If you remember last week we talked about there was a story where Jesus told two of his disciples to go into town uh, and to, to find the room that God had prepared for them, for them to eat the Passover meal. This is this, the, the final night uh, that they will share together before Jesus is to go and to be crucified. Uh, they will go from here, they will go to the Garden of the Gethsemane after they leave this upper room after Jesus does some more teaching. They'll go to the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where they pray. That's where Jesus sweats drops of blood. That's where Judas comes up with the guards to betray him. He is arrested. Throughout the night, he has that mock trial. And then the next morning, he is hung on the cross around 9 a.m. I believe 9 a.m. might be 6, but I think it's 9. But anyway, so we're kind of hitting the end of Jesus' life. And so here before he goes to the cross, he uh, institutes the Lord's Supper. So before we get to the passage and look at it, and really, um, as, you, as we look at the Lord's Supper, there, it, it's mentioned kind of three times in Scripture. There's uh, the three synoptic Gospels. The synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That's because they all kind of follow the same uh, pattern and outline. John is kind of an outlier um, in the way it's written. Uh, and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So we're going to look at Mark and we'll look at uh, some passages or the passage in 1 Corinthians 11 that talks about the Lord's Supper. But before we get to those passages, I want us to define what the Lord's Supper is and then we're just going to talk about it for a second um, from some different perspectives to kind of help us build a definition of the Lord's Supper and the language that we use. And then we'll look at the text and what the text says and what we can learn about the Lord's Supper and why it's important for us as believers. All right. So first, what's our definition of the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is a symbolic activity done by believers in Jesus Christ to remember Christ's death and the benefits we receive through faith and is to be done until He returns. I know that's a lot. I couldn't figure out a way to condense it anymore because I wanted to get everything in. A couple of things uh, that kind of come from this that are kind of going to help us guide us this morning as we talk about the Lord's Supper. The first is that this is to be done in remembrance of the gospel and the passage of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're told to do this until He comes, or to do this in remembrance of Him until He comes. Uh, the body and the, or the bread and the juice reckon, or, or are symbolic of Jesus' body and blood, which were broken and spilled on the cross that uh, next morning. The, the, the Lord's Supper is all about us remembering the gospel and what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Two, it is symbolic. It is a symbol. There is nothing magical or mystical or special about the bread and the juice. They in and of themselves are just bread and juice. There's nothing uh, special about them. It is a symbol that helps us to refocus and remember who Christ is and what He's done. There are, when it comes to how it is to be done... We're not really given biblically a specific way or how often this is to be done. 
A lot of churches do like us. We use the little uh, pre-made crackers. We use a little cup of juice. That's how we do it. Some churches, they uh, use a, a big um, unleavened kind of loaf, and they, they break it off as they pass it around. Everyone kind of breaks off their, their own piece. Um, so you get everyone touching the piece that you're going to eat. Um, some churches, uh, instead of passing out little cups, they come along the front, and everyone drinks from the same cup, which is just nasty, because if someone backwashes, then you're getting their backwash. It's like eating after, drink after my kids. It's just, you just don't do it. It's not sanitary. But there are some ways that people do things. that it's, The Bible doesn't tell us you have to do it this way. <clears throat> In fact, um, uh, some people, uh, some churches, we do it every, every fifth Sunday. Some churches do it quarterly. Some churches do it uh, every time they meet, every Sunday morning. I've got a friend that the church he pastors, every Sunday morning, they take the Lord's Supper as a way to worship God and remember the gospel. But there's no specific way to do it. So a lot of times when we talk about theological things, and this is a theological truth, a practice that we do to express and remember of our faith or declare our faith, there are some things that we hold kind of open-handed. If a church wants to do this every week, that's great. If a church wants to do it every quarter, that's great. If a church wants to do like us and use little crackers, that's awesome. If they want to um, get their hands on everything and, and share the same juice, more power to them. Um, but there's no way that that has to be done. Now, there are a few things that do separate us from, from, um, from Catholics when it comes to the view of the Lord's Supper. So remember, kind of within uh, the way we look at, at uh, Christianity, or the way we look at the history of Christianity, uh, Catholicism had come be, become the dominant um, I guess religious uh, sect uh, for a while. It was what was, if you said Christianity, you were talking about Catholicism. Then in 1517, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis on the door of the Church of Wittenberg on October 31st, 1517. And that started what we call the Protestant Reformation. That's when there was a move out of Catholicism by a group of believers who said, look, some of the things that Catholics teach are just wrong, and not just a little bit wrong, <coughs> excuse me, but big time wrong. And we need a reformation in the church. We need a revolution. We need things to be different. So, Basically, all Protestant denominations, that's all denominations that are not Catholic. That would be uh, Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, Baptist, Southern Baptist, uh, General Baptist, Missionary Baptist. Everyone kind of views the Lord's Supper the same way. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at kind of the, the, the Protestant view of the Lord's Supper or our view and then the Catholic view because they are very, very different. Now... For us, there are two ordinances that we recognize as a church. Now, I'll tell you what, we'll talk about an ordinance here in a second, but there are two ordinances that we recognize as a church. That is baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are the two ordinances that as a church that we hold special, that we hold uh, in a high regard, that we say these have meaning, these have purpose, this is what we do. Now here's what an ordinance is. An ordinance is a religious activity intent on demonstrating one's faith. 
So when we have baptism, we take those who have made a profession of faith. This week, I believe we had five uh, uh, children make a profession of faith uh, in Jesus Christ. And so um, sometime in the next few weeks or months, we need to take these children. They need to be baptized. And baptism, once again, there's nothing mystical or magical about it. It is a, a public declaration before God and before His church saying, look, I've been changed on the inside. I have died. I've been brought to new life. And it is a picture of what God has done inside of us. Baptism does not save us. Baptism does not give us the Holy Spirit. Baptism does not uh, wash away our sins. All of that is done through salvation. Baptism is a public showing, a declaration of what God has done in us. So for us, baptism is an ordinance, is a declaration of one's faith that we hold as very important. We also believe that baptism is for uh, those who have been saved, not for infants or anything else. That baptism is, um, in fact, the word baptizo is the Greek word. It literally means to submerge. So the idea of submerging, being brought back up as a picture of Jesus' death, we believe that is for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. We can talk about baptism another day, but let's keep on going with the Lord's Supper. We participate in the Lord's Supper to demonstrate our faith by remembering uh, who Jesus is and what He did for us on the cross. So once again, we take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is symbolic. The Lord's Supper is, once again, there's nothing magical or mystical. Uh, The Lord's Supper is a time where we uh, remember who Jesus is, what He did for us on the cross, uh, and we are thankful for it. And we're going to get into that a little bit more deeper as we go on this morning. But just kind of lining out our ordinances that, those are our two declarations or demonstrations of our faith as a body. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So we take the Lord's Supper so we can proclaim the Lord's death, so we can proclaim the cross, so that we can proclaim the, the, the cost that Jesus paid so that we could have salvation. Now, For us, here's the difference between us and Catholics. We look at these as ordinances. These are demonstrations of our faith. We have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. One of the ways we demonstrate that and show that as a church is baptism and the Lord's Supper. Catholics view this as a means of grace. And here's what a means of grace is. According to Catholics, I got this off of uh, a major uh, website. I'm using their definition. A means of grace is how God blesses people and makes them more fit to receive salvation from God. So for them, and now they call them sacraments, they don't call them ordinances, but they view these as a means of grace, and there's seven of them. And these seven means of graces, these seven sacraments, they prepare you or make you fit, make you ready to receive salvation. The Catholic view of salvation is a work-based view. It's not a grace-based view. It's a view that it says, if you do these things, if you follow these rules, and you earn salvation. You make yourself more ready, more fit, more deserving to receive God's grace. They believe that the church imparts God's grace to individuals and that the sacraments impart grace regardless of the faith of the individual. So the seven sacraments are this. Baptism, 
That's infant baptism. They baptize uh, babies once they're a few days, few weeks old. Um, there is confirmation. Uh, that's where uh, children learn kind of the basics of the Catholic Church belief system. Uh, there's uh, testing and there's uh, public kind of uh, thing that goes along with that. There's the Eucharist, which is communion or the Lord's Supper. Uh, there is confession. That's why you always see in TVs and movies the um, Catholics going to those confessional booths and bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Uh, there's the anointing of the sick. There's marriage and then childbirth that comes along with that. That is a means of grace. Uh, and then the holy orders. That's ordination for priests, bishops, clergy, things of that nature. So we see already a huge difference in how we view uh, the Lord's Supper and how Catholics view. So this is one of the reasons why when the uh, Protestants came out of the Catholic Church, they left a lot of this behind because there's a work-based idea of salvation. And Martin Luther and the Protestants said, look, salvation is not by me earning this or being good. It's by placing my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's by His grace that I'm saved. So... All that to kind of help us set the picture for the idea of the Lord's Supper. Why do we have the Lord's Supper? Kind of how we are defining the terms. Because there is a distinction between how we view the Lord's Supper and how uh, Catholics view the Lord's Supper. So let's look at our passage. Mark chapter 14, verses 22 through 25. Uh, I'm going to read it. I'll pray. And then we will... um, Then we're going to talk about what we see in the Lord's Supper. Why it's important to us. Why it's valuable to us. Mark 14, 22 through 25 says this. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood, or this is, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the new kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now and thank you for this time. Father God, I pray that as we look at the Lord's Supper this morning, God, that we would see uh, the fingerprints of your gospel all over it. Father God, that we would be reminded of who you are and what you've done for us. Father God, as we proclaim your gospel, Father, I pray that you would be honored, that you would be glorified. Father God, that those in here that know you, that we would be encouraged. And Father God, those in here who do not yet know you, Father God, that they might be changed. They might be convinced by your word, by your Holy Spirit, God, to turn to you, repent of their sins, and surrender their lives. God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Okay, so first thing, the Lord's Supper is a symbolic but special event. All right, so there's two parts to this. One, the Lord's Supper is symbolic. So when we say it's symbolic, we mean that there is nothing overtly uh, uh, mystical or um, supernatural going on in the Lord's Supper. And once again, the reason why I point this out is because if you're ever talking about the Lord's Supper, if you're ever watching a show and and, and the uh, Catholics are taking the Lord's Supper, they believe something, once again, completely different than us when it comes to this. They believe in something called transubstantiation. And what that means is as you take the Lord's Supper and as the priest holds up the bread and says, "Um, this is my body, the The bread and the juice, or they use wine mostly, the bread and the wine literally transform into Jesus' flesh and Jesus' blood in your body. That there is a, a supernatural event that occurs to where 
the bread and the blood become the literal uh, flesh and blood of Jesus after you have eaten it. So that's their view of the Lord's Supper. For us, it is symbolic. We don't believe that the bread does anything or the juice does anything once you uh, eat it and drink it. It does not change form. It does not uh, change its uh, chemical uh, compound. It stays as it is. It stays bread. It stays juice. So it is symbolic. It is not um, a, a mystical thing occurring. But when we say that it is symbolic, I also want us to remember that this is still special. If you remember in... Um, actually, go ahead and flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We read a passage out of the gospel. So now let's look at 1 Corinthians 11 because this is where Paul talks about the Lord's Supper. I'm not sure if I have these verses on the screen or not. So if they're not up there, don't worry about it. That's why I'm asking everyone to turn. 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, we're going to look at verses 20... Let me see. 23 through 29. All right, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 29 says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the, Lord took on, uh, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after uh, supper, saying, This is, cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it uh, in remembrance of me. So he's repeating what Jesus did. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 26. Uh, for as often as you eat and drink this cup... Uh, um, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Verse 27. Here's, here's why we say it's more than just a remembrance. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. In fact, let's just go ahead and look at verse 30 because it shows us the severity. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Now, that's pretty harsh. And so when we talk about it being symbol, it's more than just a memorial. It's more than just something that we do. Hey, let's eat this cracker, drink this juice, uh, say Jesus died and be done with it. There is a, a, a specialness that goes to it. There is a, a spiritual aspect that comes to it because through the Lord's Supper, we are worshiping God. Through the Lord's Supper, we are obeying what God has commanded us to do. Through the Lord's Supper, we are seeking to place our, our focus on God for who He is and what He has done. Let me read this. It says, It is symbolic and that there is nothing mystical or supernatural taking place, but it is special and more than just a memorial in the fact that, um, in the fact that the in the same way that the Holy Spirit is with us as we read God's Word, in the same way the Holy Spirit is with us as we sing praises, in the same way that, that God uses the Holy Spirit to teach us, to encourage us, to challenge us, He does the same through the Lord's Supper. And so once again, the Lord's Supper, it is a, a, a symbolic act, but it's more than just a memorial. It is a time for us to worship God. It is a time for us to glorify God, to obey Him, to follow Him. And so we don't take it lightly because Paul gives a serious warning. That's why before uh, we do the Lord's Supper, every time we do it, we take a moment to, to spend in silence, to spend time with God and ask if there's any sin that we need to confess, anything that we need to lay before God before we take the Lord's Supper because we understand this is an important, spiritual, God-honoring, Christ-worshipping thing that we are doing. 
So it's not a big mystical thing where things transform within us, but it's also not just a memorial that we kind of do um, because we're commanded to. It is a, a, an act that we do in remembrance of who Christ is, what He has done, so that we can worship Him and that God uses this in our lives to speak to us, to encourage us, to challenge us, uh, to convict us, to do whatever it is He wants to, for, to us to do in our lives. In the same way He uses the Word of God, the same way He uses worship, God uses the Lord's Supper in a very special way in our lives. So it is a symbol, but it's also very, very specialness to it. Second, the Lord's Supper is symbolic of Christ's death. Now remember, we said Jesus is about to go, and He says, Take the bread. Uh, this is my body. Take the blood, or the juice. This is my blood. And so, Jesus knows He's about to go to the cross. Jesus knows He's about to die for the sins of mankind. Jesus knows He's about to give up His life for you and for me because we are sinners, and we desperately need a Savior. He knows what is about to happen to Him. So He takes the Lord's Supper. He says, Do this in remembrance of me. Do this remembering what I'm going to do. Do this remembering the cross. Do this remembering the cost that it paid for your sins to be forgiven. Do this remember God's love shown to you by the, His Son coming to die for you. Do this remembering who Jesus is and what He has come to do. 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26. Verse 26 says, For as often as you eat the bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We've talked about how the gospel is the centerpiece for Christianity. The gospel, the fact that God loved us even though we were sinners. The fact that because of our sin we deserve punishment, we deserve judgment, we deserve hell. But God loved us enough that He sent His Son to die on the cross for us so that we might be forgiven. So that we might have life. That is the cornerstone that He was risen again to free us from our sins. That is the cornerstone of Christianity. And we take the Lord's Supper not just because it is a dead ritual that we do, but because it's an activity of us remembering who God is, how He has loved us, and the cost of that love that it took His Son to die for us. The Lord's Supper is also, it is symbolic of the benefits we receive from Christ's death. Both Paul and Jesus talk about the blood being the new covenant. The new covenant is the promise God makes with humanity that He will forgive sin and restore fellowship with those who turn to Him in repentance and faith. On Sunday nights, we just finished up talking about the covenants, looking at all these Old Testament covenants and how they build towards the New Testament covenant of Jesus Christ. And it's the promise that because of what Jesus Christ did for us, God offers forgiveness, God offers salvation through Jesus Christ, not through our works, not through our goodness, not through our church attendance, not through baptism, not through taking the Lord's Supper. The Lord offers salvation through Jesus Christ, and He has promised that that covenant, remember that covenant is two parties coming together. Jesus has promised that once that covenant has been made, once we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that He holds that covenant tightly and it can never be broken. We trust, we believe in the new covenant, the new covenant that is the blood of Jesus, this blood that cleanses us from our sin, this blood that closes, clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. And the, the benefits of the, that we receive from Christ's death are defined most simply in 2 Corinthians 5.21. 
where it says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God took Jesus Christ who lived perfectly, who had not sinned ever, and made Him to be sin on our behalf. He he died a sinner's death. He took the fullness of God's wrath directed towards our sin so that God's wrath was satisfied completely towards those who had placed their faith and trust in Him. He took that wrath of God so that we could stand before God once we placed our faith and trust in Him. Once again, not based on our goodness, but because He he became sin and on our and for our behalf took our punishment for us and clothed us or gave us Paul writes, so that we might become the righteousness of God. There is that exchange that happens where our sin, our guilt, our shame is given to Jesus and Jesus' righteousness is given to us so that as God looks at us He does no no longer see our sin, our faults, and our frailty. He sees the perfection, the righteousness, the holiness of His Son Jesus. So when we talk about how it is symbolic of the the benefits we receive, the benefits that we receive is the fact that that we have been changed. The benefits that we receive is that Jesus took our place. The benefits that we receive is that we get to come before the throne of God boldly because of Jesus. The benefits that we receive is we are no longer under condemnation, but we are now given freedom and life. The benefits that we receive, we have gone from the enemies of God to the children of God. All of this through the gospel. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper, as we think about the cross, it's not just remembering that He died, it's remembering why He died and what that means for us. So it's symbolic of the benefits. It is also symbolic of the unity that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper is not something that we do alone. The Lord's Supper is something, as Paul wrote that letter to the Corinthians, he was talking to them as a church, and he was telling them to do this as often as you do it, to do it in remembrance of Jesus, to do it until He comes. He was not saying, hey, when you're hanging out by yourself, go get some grape juice, go get a cracker, and do the Lord's Supper. He said, do the Lord's Supper together as a body. That's the purpose. That's why he's saying that. And so when we come together and we take the Lord's Supper as a body, when we take the Lord's Supper as a body of believers, we are proclaiming our our unity. And our unity is not the fact that we all live in Arkansas or live in Corning. Our unity is not the fact that we are all um, in this room white Americans. Our unity is not the fact that we're all farmers, that we all do this, that, or the other. Our unity is the fact that we are all have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's what unifies us. That's what binds us together. Not our hobbies, not our backgrounds, not our bank accounts, not our jobs, not our gender, not our race. What binds us together is Jesus Christ. Christ. And so we take the Lord's Supper as a church. We take the Lord's Supper as a body. We take the Lord's Supper as a group to show our unity in Jesus Christ for who He is and what He has done for us. Now, that raises the question of who can partake of the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> Remember in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 29, Paul talks about in verse 27, he says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Therefore let a person examine himself then, so he may eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who drinks and eats or drinks within a dis- without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. To come before the Lord in an unworthy manner. 
means that you are coming before the Lord either without accepting the gospel, you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, or that you are living in a manner that is... um, You're a Christian, but you are living actively in a manner that is uh, opposed to or opposite of uh, who God is and how God has called us to live. So if we look at who can take the Lord's Supper, the first is you've got to be a Christian. Now, once again, this is not to shame anybody or make anyone feel like an, an outsider, but, but like we're talking about, this is, this is what unifies us as a church. This is what draws us together. It's not the style of music. It's not that we all like this building. We all like the color of the chairs. What draws us together is Jesus Christ. And so to partake of the Lord's Supper, you have to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, we take that time before we take the Lord's Supper that we might confess any sin because also you want to be a believer in in right standing with God. You want to be a believer who has confessed all their sin. You want to be a believer who is striving, once again, not to be perfect, but to strive to live in a way that glorifies and honors God. Now, just as a side note, different churches do this differently. Uh, Some churches do what's called a closed communion, which means uh, you have to be a member of their specific church uh, to partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, We do what's called an open communion. As long as you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you can partake of the Lord's Supper because it's not necessary for specific churches, but it's for all those who are part of the body of Christ. And uh, I'm not comfortable telling someone who's a part of the body that they can't join us uh, simply because they're not a member of our church. But it's the idea of unity. Unity in the body. Unity for believers. Unity in Christ. That's why we take the Lord's Supper. All right. In the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of God's love for us. Remember, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. The cross is God's declaration of love to the world. The cross is God's declaration Say, look, this is what love looks like. Love looks like me giving my son to die for you, though you would never ask of it, though you would never be worthy of it. I'm giving to you what is best for you, even though you don't know it, because I love you. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God loved the world and Jesus Christ came. If we are remembering the cross as we take the Lord's Supper, it's a time for us to remember how much God loves us. 1 John 3.1 See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. How great the love the Father has lavished on us that we are the children, the sons and daughters of God, that we have been adopted into His family. As we take the Lord's Supper, it's a time for us to remember that God loves me. Not because of how great I am, not because of how special I am, but because God chose to love me because God is a God of love. The Lord's Supper is a time to, yes, just remember the cross, but also remember why the cross is there. That's because God is a God of love. Next, in the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of the sacrifice Jesus made for us. Romans 5.8, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Jesus died for us when we were still his enemies. Jesus sacrificed his life when people spat at him and and cursed him while he was hanging on the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is the perfect picture of Jesus dying for those who were his enemies, dying for those who were not his children, dying for for those who would have him killed and hung on the cross. In fact, even those closest to Jesus with the exception of John and a handful of women, all fled and ran away and one even denied him and another betrayed him and yet he still died on the cross. He still died to pay our penalty. He still died to make this sacrifice because God knew because of our sin and because of God's standard, God's standard being perfection and our sin makes us so, um, so short of that. That if it weren't for Jesus, if it weren't for Jesus interceding on our behalf, if it weren't for Jesus sacrificing Himself, if it weren't for Jesus becoming uh, uh, our penalty, taking our penalty, taking God's wrath that we deserve to offer us His righteousness, to offer us His life, then we would have no hope. So we take the Lord's Supper and we remember God's love. We take the Lord's Supper. We remember the cross. We take the Lord's Supper. We remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. <clears throat> and finally, in the Lord's Supper, we affirm our faith in Christ. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. As we take the Lord's cup, as we take the bread, as we take the Lord's Supper, we are making a declaration that I have placed my faith and trust in Jesus. I know that I'm going to heaven not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is. So we take the Lord's cup. We are declaring our faith in Jesus until He comes or until we go to Him. As we take the Lord's Supper, we are making a declaration where we are saying the gospel is the only hope for eternal life, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. The gospel is a proclamation of or the Lord's Supper is a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus did for us, what that means for us, uh, what we receive from that, how God loves us through that. The, The Lord's Supper is us proclaiming to each other in worship and for those who don't know Jesus in evangelism that God is a God of love, that God is a God who loved us so much that His Son died for us, the bread, the broken body, that He suffered for our sins, the the blood, or the juice that represents the blood that covers a multitude of our sins, that clothes us in His righteousness, that the, uh, the Lord's Supper is a declaration, a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ for those who are Uh, His children to worship for those who don't yet know Him to understand God's love seen through His Son. We partake of the Lord's Supper because we want to honor God and worship God and we want to proclaim His gospel. We want to proclaim the centerpiece of Christianity that God loved us so much that His Son died for us that we might have life. couple of things as we close out that I want us to think about. It's easy sometimes as believers to look at some of the things that we do like baptism or the Lord's Supper and just kind of see it as, oh man, this is just going to add five minutes to our, well, ten minutes to our service. Uh, This is just going to stretch things out. I'm going to get to the restaurant a little bit later. And I would encourage all of us, myself included, to look at the Lord's Supper not as a 
not as a burden, not as as something that just kind of makes things longer, but to look at it as I get to worship God in a different way today. I get to declare and thank God and praise God for the gospel that he died for me. For Christians, the gospel, even though it's we look at it as kind of the point of salvation or the entry door into Christianity. The gospel is important for us every single day of our lives. Every single day we need to be reminded that God loves me, not because of who I am, but because of who He is and what Jesus has done. That God loves me even when I fall short. That Jesus has covered my spot because of the cross. That I need to uh, understand the severity of my sin. That it took Jesus dying for my sin to be forgiven. So that should, should motivate me and sanctification. That should motivate me in obedience. The gospel should be something that we think about and remember every single day. The Lord's Supper just helps us do that. If you're in this room this morning and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then maybe talking about the Lord's Supper is is just foreign to you. Maybe this makes no sense. But as I told every child that I talked to this week about uh, salvation, about the gospel, the most important decision that you can make is the decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The most important decision that you can make in your life is recognizing that we are sinners who deserve hell and judgment because we have broken God's law. But we also recognize that God has loved us so much that even though we deserve judgment, He has offered us life through His Son. There's no greater decision than placing our faith and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, repenting of our sin, and letting Him be the Lord, the Master, the Father, the King, the Ruler of our lives. Nothing greater, nothing more important. So as we close out this morning, that's what I want us to think about. As we move into our, uh, uh, our time of response, that's what I want us to think about. For believers, how do I view the gospel? Is the gospel something that I just saw once I became a Christian and I don't even think about it anymore? We're selling ourselves short if that's the case. We need to daily be remembering the gospel. Thankful for it. Worshiping God for it. And also remember how it impacts my life and how it influences me every single day. And if you don't know Jesus, my prayer is that during this time that that God has spoken to your heart, uh, that you have understood your need, and that you would respond to God with obedience this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now and thank you for this time that you've given us. We thank you for this opportunity uh, to come to talk about you. Your love for us is seen through the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross. Father God, I pray, Lord, for everyone in this room. Father God, I pray for us believers who sometimes forget the power of the gospel, who sometimes forget the importance of the gospel and how it impacts and the effects of the gospel and how they impact our life. Father God, I pray that you would remind us of your greatness, of your love, of your goodness, of the sacrifice and death of Jesus. And Father God, that during this time we could praise you, and God, that that would impact us as we leave this building and go out into the world around us. Father God, not just living out the gospel, but also sharing the gospel with those that we come in contact with. Father God, I pray for those in this room who don't know you, who have never placed their faith and trust in you as Lord and Savior. Father God, I pray, Lord, that this morning there might be a change there. I pray that this morning, God, through your word, your spirit has convicted them and showed them their sinfulness and why they need a Savior. And Father God, I pray that this morning their faith might be moved towards you. And Father God, you would change their hearts and change their lives. So there would be repentance and faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Father God, I pray that whatever you do this morning, however we respond, that it would be done to the glory and the goodness of your name. 
We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Time of response. The music is going to play. The altars are open. If you need to pray, you can also pray at your seat. If you need to talk about salvation, I'll be standing right up here at the front. I just pray that we would respond in a way that is obedient to God. I ask that you stand. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blood to thee whose blood can Let me just say this as we close. Uh, You don't have to be in a church to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Uh, You can do it at your house. You can do it in your car. You can do it at work. Uh, All you have to do is call out towards God. Confess that you're a sinner. Ask God for God's grace, God's forgiveness uh, that He offers through Jesus. And surrender your life to Him. And the Bible says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Also, if there's ever anything that you need to talk about, about God's Word, about just what's going on in life, you need prayer, whatever, uh, my uh, email address and my cell phone number are in the the bulletin. Uh, Take those with you. Uh, Don't uh, hesitate to call me, to text me. that's what I'm here for. Um, to tonight, uh, we're going to start uh, a few weeks looking at the... Um, I completely went blank. Well, about the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, of how God has gifted every believer uh, for service, what those gifts are, what those gifts look like. Uh, so uh, be back here at 6 o'clock for that. Um, I love you. I'm thankful to be your pastor. Uh, Brother Jim, do you mind closing out in a word of prayer?